0: Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is
1: awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 49,
0: Blade Runner Movie Review. <laughs> Chris McBrien here along with Yancy Eaton as always this is Pop Goes Your World uh before we get started just if you want to reach out to us on twitter you can do so at C McBrien or at Yancey Eaton or you can always head over to the website popgoesyourworld.com all of our contact information is there shoot us an email reach out to us any way you want uh Yancey we have a guest this week but before we get to our guests and mm-hmm. what's going on my friend
1: What's going on? Uh the huge I am inside my shed. I still don't have an AC unit despite my wife and I talking about it. Um I brought a little mini cooler out today with like some refreshments and stuff. I what, actually What kind forgot of
0: refreshments to, do we have in the cooler?
1: Tonight? Uh, adult alcoholic beverages. Nice. I forgot to bring the box cut, or the box cutter. Listen, I think I'm out. <laughs> I forgot to bring the uh the bottle opener out, so mm-hmm. I literally just like popped off a bottle with with uh, hedge clippers like a like a oh, true man. gangster. When you want beer bad enough, you're willing to do crazy crazy things, but That's that's basically what's new. I've been, we talked a little bit off air. I've been watching that new uh, Ozark movie or Ozark TV series. on I hear it's really good. I hear it's really good. That's pretty awesome. I went and watched Dunkirk, also amazing. Holy cow, is that an amazing movie. Oh my God, yes. Um, But other than that, just the same, same old retail grind, dude. What's good with you?
0: Oh, not much. I find it uh, very interesting when you see these historical movies where you know what happens, you know, but it's still, they're able to sort of, you know, grip you and stuff it's like when it's like when you would see titanic you know the ship sinks, but it's still you know the movie gets you right so i uh, know i heard dunkirk is really really good and it's obviously yeah. one of the most amazing stories of world war ii that's for sure not much new with me we me and the family we decided we wanted to watch something new so you know my wife and i are watching breaking bad as i mentioned we're really loving it we're into season two it's going good um but mm-hmm. then we were like we got to have something we've got to watch with the kids you know like you know on a rainy day and stuff like that so what we decided to do is it was actually my wife's idea i wanted to go back and watch the love boat with the kids every time it's always <laughs> it's always a default what you guys, Your what, poor family. I know. Hey, 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 my, my wife would be like, hey, honey, what do you want to watch? The Love Boat. You know, that's always what I say. So, of course, I'm kidding. There's no way they're going to watch The Love Boat. But, um, what, so we decided that we would watch Alf. There was, a, I don't know, do you know what this show is, Yancey? There's a show. I, I called
1: know Alf. of Alf, okay. but I've never actually watched Alf.
0: It's like, a, it was like a sitcom that ran for like, I don't know, four seasons, like back in the 80s. And it was like this alien, the, this alien life form, ALF, Alf, that comes down to Earth and it, like, you know, causes all this mayhem and this, you know. Mm-hmm. On, but the one thing that, that I forgot was, and I watched that, you know, series back in the 80s. So we start watching it again and I was like, oh, I always remember there was the neighbor, Mrs. Ochmonic, and she's like always like trying to spy on them and see what's going on. And it's um, the, the actress, I can't remember her name, but it's the actress that plays Jerry Seinfeld's mother. I was like, hey, that's Jerry's mom. I didn't even remember me. And go back mm-hmm. and watch these shows, but anyway, that's where. To, but anyway, let's bring in our guest this week. So we're, this week, as I mentioned last week, this week we're going to be uh, look, taking a look at Blade Runner, which is one of you know Yancy's favorite genres of film, with the sci-fi. And so, who better to join us than a huge sci-fi and Blade Runner fan? Because he reached out to me and said, "Hey, I'm a Blade Runner fan. You got to get me on the show." Then our good friend Derek Myers, Caveman himself, Derek. What's going on, my friend? Welcome back. Hey, to the Chris. Show. Hey Chris. Hey.
2: Uh, I'm glad to be back. And woo, uh, woo. let me tell you, I. Uh, I I, got to comment on a couple of things you just said. Number one, we were actually just talking about Alf in my house last week.
1: Very cool. See?
2: Strange. Can but you- is
1: it, Chris? But is it cool?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll settle oh, down, young give, man. I'm going to give you a lot of reasons to think I'm nerdy tonight, but this yes. is just the first one. No, oh, good. The, the, And this is, again, totally off topic, Dan and Tangent. In in the series ALF, yeah. there was this whole storyline about um, his girlfriend back home was named Rhonda, and they were always playing the Beach Boys song, Help Me Rhonda. And we heard that song came on the streaming party mix last week. And then that, of course, got us all talking about ALF for Very some strange cool. reason. So It's kind of funny that you bring that up, Chris. It's y- funny how those things...
0: It is cool. And yes, Yancey, it is cool, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, so what's going on? Everybody, you know, everyone knows Caveman. Um, if you want to reach out to him on Twitter, you can find him at Amaron underscore DM. So go to Twitter, follow Caveman. He obviously knows his stuff. He's been great. Actually, I haven't had a chance to talk to you since the ZZ Top concert. So as I mentioned on the show, um, Derek and I obviously went to see ZZ Top together. And it was really great. And as much as I enjoyed the show, and I did, it was great. And another 80s staple for us. Um, But you know, because I'm such a nerd. One of the things that I enjoyed the most about that night um, was before we went. putting out.
1: Oh, my, my, my.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was later on in the night. But before earlier in the night, one of my favorite things was, and I mentioned this on the show. Derek and I got together and we watched the whole movie of Caddyshack and we did an entire hour and a half long commentary on it and in all honesty that was my favorite part of the whole night even though I got to go see ZZ Top I'm such a nerd I just love talking about this stuff but I really enjoyed that recording a whole hour and a half commentary on Caddyshack and we filled it too didn't we?
2: Oh, yeah. When it was over, we started by saying, I don't know if we're going to have a lot of dead air in this thing. And by the time it was over, we we're like, we should do it again and just talk about all different things. And yeah. we figured we could probably do it with no problem.
0: Like like not. There was like no dead air in it. We were just going the whole time. It was, oh, yep. man, I love that movie. Uh, but anyway, so uh, we're going to get into things this week. Uh, science fiction is Yancey's favorite genre of film. Um, that's become pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, so we so we decided to go back and watch an old movie from the 80s from the sci-fi genre. Mm-hmm. And one of the obviously all-time classic. And that's Blade Runner. So you guys ready to get into this? Oh, yeah. Yes. All right, let's go. Phoebe Cates in the red bikini scene.
1: Jody loves chachis. Gotta like it. (laughs) Didn't she die the same day as Michael Jackson? But you did meet Fred Savage once. What's ben old? Savage. Ben
0: Savage. Because around here, Yancey is the baby-faced one, and I, of course, am the ladies' man.
1: I'm a huge fan of like that that feathered look that the women of the 60s and 70s did with their hair. Somewhere on your smartphone there, young man.
0: You can look it up. Is
1: it still around? It was
0: the two Corys. It was Corey Haven, Corey Feldman. I
1: actually felt really bad for the guy. But- and I had
0: the hugest crush on Sue's <laughs> Hercity. Who are these <laughs> people? <laughs> okay, so... Blade Runner. Uh, I don't know where we can start on this one. I think I'm going to let you guys kind of kick it off because I know that you're both like massive fans of this movie. I would like to get a take from the millennial first, if I could. So, Yancey, mm-hmm. you love science fiction films. You've made me watch uh, several of them uh, uh, from your generation. Several of them have been kind of crappy, too. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> At least I didn't like them.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, uh, You're so, wrong,
2: Chris. They were all great yes. picks, and you are wrong for disliking them. You know
1: what, Derek? Honestly, I knew you would say that, and I knew you'd be on my side about all this. All every the time, he, was, every great, time... was
2: great. X-Masina was great. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with Chris. He normally has the textbook answer, and he obviously has not read the science fiction textbook.
0: I tell you, yeah. you, you guys are going to really hate me tonight. But uh, anyway, no. so uh, Yancy, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit. You, you, you like millennial films. You like science fiction films. Here's correct. one from 1982. But you love this movie. Is that correct?
1: I do love this movie. Um, while i don't think it's a perfect film like some people like to slap that label and i think it is one of the best science fi- fiction films of all time i do think it's without flaws and um I, derek i know you probably can touch on this a little bit tonight but uh i mean the theatrical release versus the actual editor's cut the final cut version are two completely different films in my opinion um if you go off the last edit version which is the actual director's cut which is much less narration and the ending is a lot more um kind of like ambiguous and left for interpretation uh i think that is as close to a perfect science fiction film as you can possibly come however the theatrical version I think leaves a little bit to desire especially with like pacing and just having to explain and dumb down things to the audience but um, as far as themes go as far as cinematography just the way this film is shot all of the casting in this is phenomenal it's weird but it's also like weirdly believable Despite the fact that they thought that this this is what the world would look like in 2019 with, you know, flying cars and a scorched earth and, you know, super insanely advanced artificial intelligence that looks like us and is undiscernible to like human beings. That part of it is kind of interesting, but it's just so well done. And there's so many things that they bring up to it that, I mean, it's it's in the, the, the great pantheon. It's in the Mount Rushmore, I think, of science fiction films easily.
0: Well, you know, Yancey, with what's going on in foreign policy in 2017, we might get to scorched earth yet. So just give it a little bit of time. Um, I hope. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Derek, uh, okay. So we got the millennials take on it. He, he really likes this movie. He feels that, uh, some versions of it are flawed. Um, I'm going to come back. I got some questions for you, Yancey on this, but Derek, for you, uh, you're the one that reached out to me. You were like, Hey man, if you're doing blade runner, you know, and I think you might even been you that actually correct me if I'm wrong. I think you might've even initiated saying, Hey, you've got to talk about blade Runner on the show and I'd like to join you. So you obviously love this movie. So tell us a little bit about why you love it and why this is one of your favorite movies of all time.
2: Yeah. So, uh, obviously i listen to your show every week and uh, a lot of the times when you guys do your top five lists um chris i find you always have you know great picks but you often have the uh, textbook answer and i've been saying that since day one you pick the textbook answer which is not the wrong answer uh but i found Yancey's answers often i was like felt more like my style of movie even if i hadn't seen all his picks i could go okay yeah i I understand where he's coming from Mm -hmm. and uh with with your movie reviews, you've been doing a lot of stuff from the 80s, a lot of comedies and Yancey's been doing a lot of science fiction, newer movies and I thought, you know what, how can we sort of flip that on its head and so that's when I reached out to you and I said why don't you do a 1980s sci-fi movie and I, I mean I assumed Yancey had seen it and probably enjoyed it but I didn't know for sure so uh, you know I'm glad to hear everything that he's just said That—that that is certainly going to echo uh, my feelings but um, Yancey, my, my curiosity for you is uh, like I saw this movie when I was much younger, mm-hmm. shortly after it was released. I mean, when I when it was came out, I was only seven or eight years old, so I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it for the first time on home video, but I was probably thirteen or fourteen years old, and so every science fiction movie that I saw after that, I was able to, in the back of my mind, compare it to Star Wars, compare it to Blade Runner, and this exactly like you said has always been in my top five sci-fi movies of all time and so every sci-fi movie I've seen since then at some part I'm comparing it to Blade Runner something like The Matrix or District 9 or whatever I'm always thinking to myself how did this stack up to Blade Runner and so in in how old were you when you first saw Blade Runner like what was sort of your science fiction movie background before you saw Blade Runner and then like sort of what year do you think that was and then sort of how did you see sci-fi movies after that
1: So I first saw Blade Runner when I was a senior in high school. So this wasn't a film that I grew up with. Um, I've mentioned this before in the past that my family isn't – a super science fictiony type of family my brother my older brother he well he's my only brother but my brother Bruce he likes a ton of science fiction and he and I kind of you know have always gravitated to- towards that type of film but this was just one where like I knew that it was a big film I knew it was like in the canon of great science fiction films but I've never you know I never watched it it was it wasn't in theaters or anything like that but with the advent of streaming services obviously it just makes movies so much more accessible but that's a catch 22 though because like because everything is so much more accessible it's also much harder to kind of like discern what you're going to watch and and you you almost have to be like really calculated and guided with how you spend your time otherwise you're just never going to watch anything so I was late to it I think you know compared to some other people who are you know actual big science fiction fans but um senior year of high school I watched it and I remember watching it super late at night and uh, I was like oh my god that was incredible like two days later I watched it again and like three days later I watched it again and then you know so I was late to it but in the past Ten years. I mean i've I've probably watched it twenty five times, something like that. Um, so I mean, it's it, it was late to the game, but it it quickly like surpassed you know all of the films that i I, I you know originally had as like the best two or three science fiction films of all time. Okay,
2: that's fair. I like it. That's a good answer. Um, okay, I just so, wanna can I just jump in? Yeah, jump in, Chris, I just yeah. want to defend
0: myself for a second here uh, because you're you're mentioning that I'm the textbook. I give the textbook answers. I'd like you to go back and listen to the show we did on our favorite music videos because my number Correct. one my number one was Holiday <laughs> Rap by MC Micro G and DJ Swen. So if you, if that's textbook, I don't know. Do you know exactly,
1: I don't
2: think yes. I know that. Could you sing us a few bars? We haven't heard. <laughs> it gets so much play on this
0: podcast. That's <laughs> <so laughs> <cute. laughs> um, Okay, so you were. Ask it. So you mentioned you were about 14 years old, Derek, when you saw the movie. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, okay? I'm gonna take. Let's go back in time a little bit. Let's go back to 1982, one of my favorite things to do. So at the time, Harrison Ford was my favorite actor because, I mean, he was in my two favorite movies of all time, Star Wars and Readers of the Lost Ark. So at, in 1982, I was 12 years old, and when I found out he was going to be in another science fiction movie, I begged and pleaded with my parents to please take me to the drive-in to go see this movie Blade Runner and I just kept begging them and then they finally gave in and I remember I was so excited I couldn't wait I mean all week I was like having trouble sleeping I was so excited to go see the new movie with you know Han Solo and Indiana Jones in it and then we got there and the movie started and after about five minutes I was like what the living hell am I watching as a 12-year-old, I hated this movie. I
1: hated did it, it. Did it feel like a betrayal of sorts? It, like you you came from like Star Wars and you were expecting something similar to that?
0: I think, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe because that's, you know, space fantasy, you know, and I, and, there are lots of, and Star Wars is a lot of fun to watch. And it's very exciting and it's, you know, all that. And this was like, I was like, what the hell is this? And I remember, so then I went ahead and rewatched it again <laughs> as an adult. And And I'll tell you what, I will run down the positive things of this movie. Okay. Number one is Harrison Ford. The guy is amazing at anything. Anything. And you think about it, he seems like kind of an odd choice to play Deckard. But he was fantastic in this role. He was really good. So that's one thing I think that was great about the movie. The second thing I think that's great about the movie is that it has style and it has vision. No question. But the negative things about the movie. Number one, oh God, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I think it's way overrated by science fiction fans. And number two, it's boring as Hmm. That's my that's my thoughts. That's what I feel on this. Okay,
2: let, let me let me jump in then. So please, please address. I'm going to speak to this, but try and spin it a little bit positive. Mm-hmm. So when we, were, my wife and I watched this movie earlier this week, um, she's seen it probably. She's a big sci-fi fan as well. We actually met when we were working at Blockbuster Video, so we have, both have this huge love of movies, and we both love sci-fi movies. So we sat down to watch it. I hadn't seen it in maybe six months, and she hadn't seen it in probably over a year. And uh, we watching it, but we were sort of chatting a little bit at the same time just because I told her, like, I'm doing homework for the podcast. Like, keep me honest. And we were talking about pacing. And I was saying to her, like, the pacing is so slow. And that's her number one criticism about every movie is this movie was slow. And so I said to her, though, if you – much like you just said, Chris, if you've come to this movie for the first time after seeing Star Wars – which is also the sci-fi, but it's all shoot 'em up and space battles and hyperspace and fast, fast, shoot 'em fast lasers and explosions. And then you come to this. It's obviously two totally different ends of the spectrum. But I think that the kind of movie they're making, like it's a detective story. It's a it's a story that explores the human condition. It wants you to think. It's not just a shoot 'em up, blow 'em up, action-packed, eat your popcorn, get your two hours of entertainment and and cheer at the end of the movie kind of thing. This one, clearly. There's more going on to it, and and I think that if it was a faster-paced movie with more of those explosions and kinds of things, it it wouldn't have sort of resonated, at least with me, it wouldn't have resonated as much over time. Like, every time I watch this, I find something new, and every time I watch this, it sort of makes you think a little bit about the whole idea of, of humanity, right? It's these artificial life forms that are trying to discover their soul if you will before their their life ends like they realize they have mortality and they're trying to extend that mortality because they're starting to become individuals and for me that that that's what i love about this so much is it's not just this shoot 'em up space battles set in the future with robots it's it's this story about a detective and it's a story about these robots trying to to You know, discover their souls.
0: I'm going to jump in. I think it's interesting you say that because I'm going to, again, I'm going to play devil's advocate tonight. Okay. Um, So you're saying like, you know, you watch it and then you find out there's more and more going on. I actually would argue the opposite. To me, this movie is all style. It's like every shot is done just to be stylish with, and a lot of it I know is because of that floating kind of advertising sign thing that's going on. So there's all this backlit and light coming in and shafts of light coming in all the time everything's backlit everything's in silhouette shafts of light everywhere it's all style and not a lot of substance that's my that's just my feeling when i watch this movie it the movie feels empty to me it feels like a like a really kind of interesting thing to look at very stylized like like i think when when i think of a stylized movie blade runner is it it's a wonderfully stylized movie. But there's been other movies that have been stylized. Like, if you think around the same time, uh, remember Buckaroo Bonsai? Super stylized kind of movie. Very visually interesting, but kind of a dumb movie. And I kind of lumped this movie in with that one. I know you're going to hate me for that.
2: No, but Chris, sorry. I'm just going to jump back in before Yancey comes back in. Yeah. The, I, I, I have to agree with what you've said, but I think that's sort of the point is at this point in the movie in the world those who are privileged and perfect and want to have a better life have left they've gone to these off-world colonies and you even hear the characters complain about i couldn't go off world i couldn't pass the yep. physical why are you still and, on earth yeah yeah it's like this is the dystopia this is the the place that nobody wants to be the only people who are here are the people that can't leave and usually it's because they're down on their luck they're impoverished they're criminal they're they're sick whatever and so your point about about You know the movie sort of being hollow and like I think that's deliberate. It's supposed to be this style. It's like yes, it's the future, but sorry, you can't participate in the future because you suck. And this is your story. Yeah, Yeah, I guess.
0: Yeah, you come in from two different points. And sorry, Yancy, I'll let you jump because I think yeah, like because the movie's kind of a downer, and I think that there is a propensity for some film critics and you know some film buffs out there to think that this downer dystopian thing is you know kind of cool and I guess it is kind of cool but it's but still it doesn't change the fact that the movie's kind of a downer and I guess you know I got to put things in perspective I was 12 at the time and like I said coming off Star Wars and Rage of the Lost Ark I came into this and went what the hell right so Yancey go ahead
1: so I think, Chris, with you, uh, a lot of the reasons why, or maybe the main reason, and if this is totally off base, then just shut it down. That's fine. And I don't mean to sound like I'm like coming at you with this, but I think with a lot of these sci-fi movies that I recommend to you, I think that they don't resonate with you because the main theme, or like the main, uh, you know, issue, or Whatever theme that they're trying to say, as far as like our relationship to technology and how that like affects society in the future, I think overall you have a different relationship with technology, and like you you don't have that embedded fear and it doesn't play up to you like it does for other people, right? So what I see is like, a really big deal with, like, a District 9 of how, like, hey, say, you know, like, you know, a a different subsect of species comes into our planet and basically, you know, has nowhere else to go. Like, I see that as something as more of an actual real possibility and it's also, like, you know, it's a metaphor for how we treat people today as far as, like, you know, refugees and stuff. Whereas, like, with this, it's like, okay, you know, eventually, you know, we're going to have artificial intelligence that is so far advanced that we're going to have to reconcile how do we treat those things that are so close to mankind right so like i think about that in like an actual literal sense and how that's going to have an application in the real world you know down the road in 20 30 40 50 years and i think you just see that as just like that's just the theme like the core theme of that movie and it's and it's purely fiction you see what i'm saying like my what i'm deriving from blade runner is how is this going to have real life ramifications down the road does that make sense? Yep.
0: And, you know, I remember when I when I was mentioning to my wife that I was going to watch this movie, she's like, well, what's it about? And so I mentioned it to her, and she's like, what the heck is it with this recurring theme? Because when we watched Ex Machina, it was the same thing. This idea of this artificial intelligence that kind of gets, you know, a conscience and kind of comes to life and you know, wrestles with that whole thing, and then does it turn on people, you know? Right. And we we saw the the same theme when, we, when my wife and I watched Westworld, right? It was the exact same thing as what's going on here. And so mm-hmm. what you're saying is that, millennials are maybe more prone to having that sort of embedded fear of technology and stuff. So these uh, themes resonate. Or not even
1: fear, not even fear, but just awareness. Awareness, like of, it. Okay, yeah, awareness right. of it. Like an actual awareness of it. So
0: so then, but then the thing is, if we look at this, this movie was made in 1982. So I guess that what that's what that's telling us is that this movie was way ahead of its time. And that's another reason why it was so popular, right?
2: Yeah. I was just going to yep. jump onto that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, to, to echo what you've been saying, Chris, that, and to echo what you've said in a lot of these reviews is, um, you know, the whole idea of looking at this technology and, and as this, you know, this fear, artificial intelligence taking over. This obviously is a movie from the 80s. A lot of movies and other pop culture that have come since then have been influenced by this, been influenced by like William Gibson's cyberpunk novels and that kind of thing, right? You have a few giants in the genre and everything that comes after that is You know, as much as they may want to deny it, has been influenced by these things. So yes, Blade Runner is stylistic, and yes, um, you know, it's 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 got these things. But you got to think of it in the context of, well, it was among the first of the big sort of sci-fi blockbuster Hollywood. I don't know if you call it blockbuster, but Hollywood releases to 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 visit these topics and visit these themes in this way. And so, although you may not think it's perfect, you may not love it, you may not even like it. You do, I think, at least have to acknowledge that it has an important place in science fiction pop culture because of all of the things it's influenced and inspired for good or for bad from them. Mm -hmm. So like you talk about style. We just recently watched the movie The Fifth Element. My niece was visiting. She's 15 years old. She likes sci-fi. She'd never seen The Fifth Element. So we showed that. You want to talk about a movie that's style?
1: That is all. You it's know, a, to it's go, a bad it, good movie. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it is the opposite end of Blade Runner. Blade Runner is all dark and dystopian, and and Fifth Element is all colors and and like it's it's both ends. But it's all like apply, over the top. Yeah, yeah. It's you could only- apply a lot of the same uh, uh, criticisms and 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 descriptors that you're using for Blade Runner you could use a lot of those same things for something like Fifth Element um, and, and again it borrows on them it's influenced by them in a way and then they've sort of you know obviously flipped it on its head and, and, and taken it away and they've made a fun movie out of it
0: Now Yancy, you you always mention one thing that I think that's interesting because you and I have you know sort of conflicting views on rewatchability of movies because you're saying like, like yep. you could watch movies over and over and over again for totally different reasons than I do I like watching movies over and over again for the familiarity of them and kind of, you know, all that. Like when we K Ben, when we got together and watched Caddyshack, it was like, you know, like I've seen the movie a zillion times. I didn't care. I still I loved watching it again because it's just it's so familiar and it's just it's a fun place to go. You know, um, this movie, like I think I don't know if I could watch it over and over again. I just couldn't. I haven't watched it over and over again over the years. I'm not going to start now. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is it that you like watching it over and over again? You get something different out of it every time?
1: I think because the it, it's so there's a lot of it that is super ambiguous. Like I said, especially if you're not watching the final uh, director's cut, there's a lot that's left open for interpretation. Just like I've talked about with the Matrix, how this movie has legs, and the, there are so many different theories on theories that just you know you you can continuously see different lights and different meanings to a lot of stuff. Um, I also think that this movie because like the grand reveal, uh, it, it does kind of ruin it, and there's not that surprise factor with this. But because it is so like freaking aesthetically pleasing, like especially like the the huge streetscapes. You know, whenever he does, whenever uh, Ridley Scott does like these expansive cityscapes where you just see like tons of, you know, buildings and, and all these different neon lights and people on the bottom and, you know, like I said, like the scorched earth where you see, like, it's those those big expanses I think he does really, really well at. And just from a visual aesthetic, like, I think this is the textbook have this movie on in the background. Maybe not pay, like, intense attention to it every single time, but I just enjoy watching it so much that I think that that's what gives it a lot of its rewatchability. What do what, you think, Man? Yeah, go ahead, Man.
2: Yeah, so uh, I think uh, I was going to go in this direction, but I was going to take it in a slightly different way. So, um, I'm going to talk about The Matrix for a second. One of the things – so I love The Matrix almost as much as I love this Blade Runner movie. And I've probably seen The Matrix – if I said it was 50 times, that's probably a low estimate. Like I've watched The Matrix a ton. And one of the things I love about The Matrix on DVD or at least the version I have is there is an audio music score track. So you can put the music on – the movie on and kill all the dialogue. And you're just hearing the audio score – and the sound effects. And for me, that is a big part of what I love about The Matrix is I think that the music really adds something to what is already a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner is another movie where the score is phenomenal. You've got Vangelis, who I believe either won or was nominated for an Oscar for Chariots of Fire. He won. He's, he won. He did win. Yeah, I yeah. thought so. He's, he's He was, you know, at the time of this, when this movie came out, it's like he was at the top of his game. He was a, a desired person to have do your movie music and the blade runner music for me although it does have you know um synthesizers and sounds from the 80s i've seen some bad so like lady hawk is a good example it's got rutger Hauer, who happens to be in blade runner yeah uh it came out in the mid 80s and it has this 80s pop techno synthesized uh, score if you try and watch the movie lady hawk today you cannot focus on the movie because the score is all 80s pop and it ruins the whole movie. It just does not hold up.
1: Mm-hmm. Whereas
2: Blade Runner, the music, even though it does have those 80s influences, I mean, keep in mind, it was composed in 81 and released in 82, so this this would have even been 70s influence. It doesn't, to me, sound dated. And this vangella score, for me, is just one more reason to love this movie. And when they finally released it on DVD in, I want to say it was the early 90s, um, I, I couldn't buy it fast enough, and I often just put that that CD back on the player, and you know, just get that audio score of the of the Vangelis Blade Runner, and and for me, that's that's a huge, huge, huge plus of why I would recommend this movie to someone if they haven't seen it in a while to go back and watch it, or if they've never seen it before. But maybe they're not a huge sci-fi fan it's one of those subtle things where you you know you never say to someone hey go watch this movie the score is fantastic but knowing, <laughs> you know if you're a big movie guy especially if you're like a, a an 80s music person it's like you know you can recommend this and then you say you know keep your ear open for the for the score in the background and to me it's just that like i couldn't imagine this movie without the score or with a different score
0: and it's so funny you mentioned that because that year when you talk about the oscars um the uh, blade runner was nominated for two academy awards it was nominated for best art direction and best effects best visual effects but it wasn't nominated for best original score travesty you know, I mean, ET was up. Gandhi, Officer and a Gentleman, Poltergeist, and Sophie's Choice were all determined by the Academy to be ahead of this movie. And after all, you Poltergeist, said, well, the yep. really? Poltergeist, yep. Yep. best original score. <sighs> ET won, you know, but uh, John
1: Williams, of course. Uh,
0: but uh, very hey, really quick,
1: can I can I jump in real quick with a question that I wanted of course, to yes. ask? Like, ask, hey so let me ask you this. I like I said, I watched this as a senior in high school and I, I still appreciate a lot of it. I think that like I said, aesthetically, as far as cinematography goes, it is very, very beautiful. There are some elements to it that I think are a little clunky. One one criticism I've heard from Ridley's about Ridley Scott, and I, I kinda pick up on it a little bit myself. Um, this may just be confirmation bias just because I read it and then I noticed it and all of a sudden I see it everywhere is that he's really good like I said at like big things whenever it comes to little things on on air it kind of looks clunky on video it looks clunky right so it's kind of hard for me to say that this movie like holds up as far as uh, you know digital effects goes just because like when they show him like interacting with like a screen or you know, like it, it shows graphics that are akin to the 1980s. Obviously, yeah. if, if if he made it look super futuristic, that means that we have the ability to make displays look super futuristic in 1982, and all displays would have looked like that. You know what I mean? So I can understand that. Like you know, we see flying cars and everything is super super advanced, but they're still dealing with like single block like like eight bit screens. So that part kind of ages it a little bit. Yeah. But how do you yeah. feel? How do you feel yeah. as, like, as far as, like, the overarching, like, aesthetic? Like, if you watch this movie in 2030, having never seen it before, I mean, would this movie look super, super dated? Or do you think it kind of holds up as, like, a futuristic kind of sci-fi film? Um,
2: I do think it would hold up. But, yeah, to your point, there are always going to be bits and pieces. And the one that we find that we are mo- – my wife and I, we watch sci-fi movies, especially older sci-fi movies that we are often overcritical of. As, as often as you see things like flying cars and other – travel space travel kind of thing that you sort of you're watching it a movie from the 70s or the 80s and you're going hey it's 2017 yeah i could see that happening even though mm-hmm. it's 30 years old N- very very few movies got the telecommunications uh, revolution correct so you see in this movie Harrison Ford goes to a payphone to make yep. a call and so that my wife sort of laughed at that when we watched it she goes yeah like nobody in the future has a cell phone and i'm like well again in 1982, that was not something that anyone would have imagined ever would exist. So it's those those kinds of things that I do definitely feel date the movie. But I did find it funny that even though he makes this call, the, the amount of money that he's charged for
1: – $1.25. $1.25 for a
2: 40-second call. And yeah. I, like yeah. it said – they did the math on one of the sites I was looking at and they said like, yeah, it works out to be like almost $2 a minute. And I'm like, that's not that far off considering that we're almost in 2019. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, some of those little details they they – it may have tried to sort of do it as to get a laugh at the time that have actually become you know, almost the reality, but other things, yeah, there's, there's little details that are going to seem dated. You know, obviously we don't have flying cars, but we have cell phones, so you can't get it all right.
0: Now, Yancey, sure. you, you know, you mentioned that you, you like the way this movie looked and you like the sort of the sweeping panorama of the film and when it showed the, the street scenes and stuff. Obviously mm-hmm. 1982 CGI didn't exist. This is all done with sets and, you know, with paint and, and which that is kind of so
1: stuff. hard. It's so hard for me to picture how that would look like. I want to see what a set looks like, like panned out and see people standing next to it like was this small stuff like what they do with some of the star wars stuff or like i can't like i don't even know like what that looks like now because i'm so i'm so uh what's what's the word like just used to seeing these right you know full cgi like i don't even know what like a practical set would even look like like it's hard it's it's hard for me well
2: i think i think the real test will be we've got a blade runner sequel coming out later this year and i gotta think that that's going to be 100% digital effects. Like They're not going to be doing miniatures and matte paintings. So I think that when that comes out, and I really cross my fingers that this movie is even halfway decent because if it sucks, I'm going to be so disappointed. Uh, But the trailer looks amazing. Um, I think after seeing this new version, that's where you're going to be able to sort of do that apples to apples comparison and go, well, in 1982, they did models and matte paintings. And in 2017, they did digital effects. And you'll be able to sort of compare the two and go, do they look like they're from the same world? Does Mm -hmm. it look like this is part of the same franchise because I think that you see movies and, and I even hate to bring up this blasphemy but you look at Star Wars episodes 1, two, three, where everything is digital and a lot of that stuff doesn't look like it's part of the Star Wars world that I knew from mm-hmm. A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back um i've been saying that for since episode one on this show I well agree. i love you always have that in the teaser where you're like uh good and bad special effects starts yeah. and ends with george lucas exactly. and i'm like oh that chris we're putting that on your tombstone like that's, that's perfect so so speak <laughs> so
0: so speaking of this sequel the blade runner 2049 that's coming out in october of this year obviously you, you're obviously excited to go and see it this is something you want to
1: go and see um both of you are excited about it i'm assuming yancy you too yeah, I've watched the the trailers on it multiple, multiple times. It honestly looks really good. And like, came in and said like, I wanted to hold up so bad. I mean, cause if it sucks, it's it's really gonna piss me off. To be honest with you, I have like yeah. a lot writing this emotionally. Like, you know, when 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 the new Star Wars movies came out, like, man, I was I was fully invested for two years watching trailers. I mean, I was on sites, you know, fan theories, everything like that. Really, really into this. And I'm kind of like that right now. It's a little different because this isn't like a full fledged franchise that they're rebooting or revisiting. Um, so it's it's not the same level of emotional attachment or involvement. But I, I want this movie to be good, like so desperately bad.
0: It'll be interesting because, you know, like like uh K-Man brought up some good points that the new movie is going to have a lot of CGI in it. So how is it going to fit in you know, with the other movie? Yep. And so it's going to be interesting because their choice of director, I thought, was interesting. Danny Villeneuve is an interesting pick because have you seen Prisoners? Have either of you guys seen Prisoners?
2: I have not. It's good. Yeah, uh Yeah. Is that the one with Jake Gyllenhaal?
0: Yeah. Good.
2: Yeah. Good movie.
1: Really Maybe good movie. Can,
0: But right. the ab- absolute opposite of a sci-fi movie. About as opposite as you can get. And so, it, but, I, but I really like Prisoners a lot. So this would be interesting to see how he's going to tackle this movie because I don't see him as being a Ridley Scott type. You know what I mean? So it would be very interesting.
2: Now, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but this director that's doing the new Blade Runner, this is the same guy that did the movie Arrival? Yes. Yes, that's right. And I, I sure hope you've seen this movie because it was arguably my favorite movie last year. Okay, well, it I'm, I'm going to have so to go
0: cool. and watch it because I have not seen Arrival yet. That's one of the Amy oh. Adams, right?
2: It just And it just dropped on yeah. Netflix, so yeah. okay. uh, I don't it? like how you guys how to do your show, but Yancey, when you got to pick your next movie review, tell Chris to watch Arrival.
1: Okay, I was all over Arrival. I love that movie, and there was a huge undercurrent of people who say... Undercurrent sucks, or Undercurrent. I'm sorry, <laughs> Arrival. <laughs> arrival sucks because I don't think they got it, but yeah. it is an amazing, amazing film. Let me, let me guess, Yancy. You guys are like spirit animals, dude.
0: Yeah, let me yeah. let me guess, Yancy. You think I'm going to fall into that category that thinks Arrival sucks? And who knows? Yeah, I might.
1: Chris, Chris is like oh, I don't get the point. <laughs> what did you guys think?
0: Yeah, go
2: ahead. Sorry, again, a little off topic. So my wife's a sign language interpreter, and I'm a I'm a writer. I work in communications, and so the two of us, you in, in our own way. Work in the communications field and have been educated in the communications field, and communication is a big part of our lives. And this movie, Arrival, is all about communicating with aliens. And so I think the fact that we both liked it so much, but for very different reasons. And then after we saw the movie, I I actually saw it when it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, Uh, I guess it was last year. And then when it was released in the theater, my wife and I went and saw it together. And so it was my second time through. And then when it came on video, we watched it again together. And like every time since then, we've watched a few times together. We always talk about it after. And it's just it creates this very interesting dialogue. And uh, I, I really think knowing your background that you're going to get a lot more out of it than you might think.
0: Well, you know what? You know what other movie was about uh, communicating with aliens? Close Encounters
2: never' mm. seen it. no I'm yeah. just kidding, of course I've seen <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh,
0: so actually, so was e t because e t had to phone home. Um uh, but uh, anyway, again, just gotta throw in my, my Gen X up so i want to I have a quick question for you guys on Blade Runner. What about the supporting cast? What do you guys think about this, like Rutger Hauer and Sean Young? did you think it was a really strong supporting cast? You're happy with everybody? I thought everyone was very interesting.
2: do you want to jump in first
1: um i I thought the casting was all good. i there were, there were decisions as far as uh, costumes go uh, that I thought was just a little bit questionable like Daryl Hannah's character uh, was it Pris or Priest I can't even remember Chris, what his yeah. name um, but it was, it was kind of like over the top it was almost to the point of like distracting to me like if you're really trying to kind of like uh, you know Insert yourself into like human society. Like, why are you going to be so outlandishly different than everybody else from a, an aesthetic standpoint? But
0: is it because of like oh. the eye makeup or the hair or the the, the, the both cause the everything? Both. And, and I think yeah. I think you make a good point because to me that that kind of hit me as being that's just it's just like the movie is being stylist or stylistic just for the sake right. of being stylistic,
1: just for the sake of it. Yeah, but I mean that aside, I thought Sean Young as as Rachel was just absolutely stunning. Where you know you believed that she was an actual android who. Was reconciling the fact that she was an android. Like, I thought that she... That's something really hard to play. That's not something they teach you in, like, theater school or anything like that. But she led me to believe that, like, she was truly... You know, she thought she was a human being and she wasn't, you know, and when she finds that out to, you know, having to grapple with that, like her own sense of humanity or lack thereof, I thought was really, really interesting. Um, what was the, what was the guy's name? Um, uh, the guy that had like the gland issue or whatever, the, the, oh,
2: Jay M. Sebastian, Sebastian. Yeah. Yeah, William, uh, William Sanderson. Sanderson.
1: I thought he was absolutely incredible. In and I would have loved to have seen him have even more dialogue in that, but I thought the casting as a, as a whole was amazing. Like you said earlier, Chris, Harrison Ford, he doesn't even have to say a whole lot for you to kind of know exactly what's going on and, like, see what he's thinking. And, like, just his little one lines, the way he delivers his lines. I mean, th- he's the all-time grossing actor of all time. I and mean, it makes a lot of sense that he is, too, because he's just so good at playing one specific part so well. I think he just says a lot without actually having to say much at all. He's, but uh, he, I love
0: this. Yeah, no, I agree. And, like I mentioned earlier when we started the podcast, like Harrison, Harrison Ford was, like, my favorite actor, you know, when I was, like, 12 years old. Because he played these – It's a, he's amazing to me because he plays these iconic – characters. If you go back and think about Star Wars, he's Han Solo. Like, it is so incredibly easy as an actor to get pigeonholed and typecast, and that's it. And when you think about someone like Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill's gone on to have a great career as a voice actor. But his on-screen stuff, it died, you know, with Jedi, pretty much. Like, because he was just so typecast in that. And even Carrie Fisher was typecast in that role. But... But Harrison Ford was able to break free of that. And it's just amazing because when you – even you watch a movie like Witness, and I think um, Yancey has no idea what I'm talking about with Witness, but Cave, you know Witness, right?
2: Yep. Oscar well, nominated. Harrison oh, Ford got nominated so, for an Oscar for that. So good.
0: John Booth. And you watch that, and he's just so incredible. Not I, I swear to God, the fan that I am of Raiders, of Star Wars and everything – I watched Witness when it came out, and even to this day, I've seen it You know, multiple times. Every time I watch that movie, there is not one second, not one second in that movie that I look at him and I think, that's Han Solo, or that's Indiana Jones. Not once. Not yep. once does that even come up. That, to me, is an incredible actor to be able to transcend such huge parts and still play other parts. And that's what he did in this movie, which yep, kind of surprised think,
1: me. Chris, I don't think I've ever watched Harrison Ford in a film and thought like, oh, that's you know, like you said, that's Han Solo. I, I remember, like, a, I've seen, you know, like, I love The Office, and I'll see actors from The Office, and I'll be like, oh, that's Dwight from The Office, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. it's so hard to kind of parse that, just because, you know, not to their fault, but like, their character is just so iconic, and it's so hard to break away from that, but like, I remember a couple of years ago, I went in theaters, and I watched uh, The Age of Adeline, it's kind of like a forgettable throwaway, yeah. like, romantic comedy, but... With that being said, you know Blake Lively is lovely in it. It's 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 a good movie. It's okay. It's fine. But Harrison Ford in that is like whoa! Like Harrison Ford is like he's so awesome and out of place in this movie. Like why did he agree to do this movie? He was so good in it. You know what I mean? Like like a forgettable movie, a throwaway like summer romantic comedy, and he just completely like dominated it. Like it's, you know, he's. It's hard to say he's unheralded as, like, an all-time great just because, like, look at all the commercial success he has. But, like, when you think about great actors, people always say, like, Tom Hanks, you know, those types of names. And nobody ever really talks about Harrison Ford, and, like, I think that's a mistake.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned um, Sean Young as well. And Sean Young's an interesting case because I thought you made an interesting observation about her role in this as Rachel and how she kind of like really like, was kind of coming to grips with the fact with like that she thinks she's human and she's really an android and this and that. And so she the one thing with Sean Young is like, she's an incredible, incredibly talented actress. And it was funny because there was a period of time right around 82 where she was like an up-and-coming star. Like, and when she did movies like, like remember when I mentioned to you uh, previous, on a previous podcast, Yancey, of one of my favorite comedies from the 80s is called Young Doctors in Love. Sean yep. Young was in that. And she was also in Stripes, one of my favorite movies of all time. And she was also in this movie called No Way Out with Kevin Costner, one of his first movies. And it's such a good movie. She is she was an incredible actress, but then she kind of fell off the face of the earth. And, and I, not really, because I mean, she's worked ever since. She's been a working actress ever since and has done lots of stuff, but nothing really substantial because she is just so absolutely bat crazy like she is absolutely <laughs> crazy like like there's been stories of her like getting kicked out of parties and stuff in hollywood and like just really really difficult to work with i think if you ask directors in hollywood who's the most difficult actors to work with you know she's right near the top and i remember even when she did wall street like it was like she was impossible to work with and then at one point she was dating um james uh, woods the actor and then apparently like the rumors were that she was like stalking him after they broke up and stuff and I think when you're looking at a situation between you and James Woods and you're the crazy one you're really really <laughs> crazy <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> so, but I thought Rutger Har was really really good in this too um, he, I remember seeing him in a movie called um, Nighthawks with Mm -hmm. um sylvester stallone he was really really good in that too and the Austrian weekend and stuff like he's really good there, this was a good cast it was a good cast it was a stylish movie again just to play devil's advocate more than anything else i actually did kind of like this movie a lot but i really wanted to play devil's advocate tonight um on a lot of things but overall i thought it was i thought it was really really good so
1: just just to hop in one more time chris um so i i totally agree with you chris actually what i wrote down in my notes uh just preparing for like talking points for tonight was the pacing. And I knew that that would be something that would come up tonight. This could be a 90 minute movie if they really wanted it to be, and it would yeah. still say all the same things. And I, I do acquiesce to that. I do think that that's something that's a legitimate point. It could be a half hour TV show and come across. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. No, um, I'm just being honest. Like, I'm just... No, no, no. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. Um, There are scenes that just take forever and they don't have to. Uh, The second act of the film just lasts forever sometimes and it feels like nothing is happening and I totally agree with that. Okay, man, this is your movie. I wanted to give you just like the... The, the the last word basically to kind of talk about one the difference between the the director's cut that came out and versus the the, the uh, theatrical version and just kind of like what your overall take is of this movie where it stands as far as like the mount rushmore of your science fiction films and can you give us like a a, a zero through ten rating on this overall sure. like what Good would portions. you get
2: this yeah. yeah so uh i'm glad because i that was what i had my last note here was talk about director's cut so i don't know about you guys but I love music, and when I hear a song yeah. for the first time and I like it, that's the that's the version. And there's been a lot of times in my life where I've heard a song and go, wow, that's a great song, and then you find out it's a cover. And you go back and you listen to the original yep. and you go, that original's not that good. I, I totally get why they covered it. This cover <laughs> is so much better. But then there's a lot of other times where you hear the song when it first comes out by the original artist, and then years later someone covers it and you're like, oh, dude, you're killing this song. Why would you not? Why did you do this? and I I have found the people that like Blade Runner it's like that if the first version you ever saw was the director's cut that tends to be your favorite. Whereas if the first version you ever saw was the theatrical cut, that tends to be the first, the one you like more. And for me, that's exactly the case. The first one I saw was the theatrical cut with the voiceover. And so for me, that's my version. And part of it is like the biggest change between the director's cut and the, the theatrical release, the original theatrical release, is there's this voiceover by Harrison Ford where he's talking and narrating and telling you what's going on. I know the movie so well, I've seen it so many times, that when I watched the director's cut, In my mind, I'm hearing the dialogue anyway. So I feel for me, the director's cut, I'm not getting the same experience out of it because the real version has sort of ruined it for me. I can't really enjoy what the director thinks I should be enjoying. And yeah, there's the whole idea of, is Deckard a replicant and the the extra scene where he has the dream of the unicorn. And at the end with the unicorn origami, and there's a lot of crazy theories, maybe not so crazy about what this represents and, and you know why the, the director has always said from day one that he believed that Harrison Ford's character was a replicant and Harrison Ford has sort of gone back and forth on it himself personally, because my, my version that I know and love is the original version. I do not think Deckard's a replicant. Um, and, I, I don't read any more into the unicorn origami than the idea of the Sean Young's character, Rachel, is the unicorn. It's yeah, you know, she won't live, but who does? She's got a four-year lifespan. If you want to run off and play doctor with her, great, but she's not gonna be around very long, so enjoy it while it lasts. And the idea of this unicorn is you've, you know, you've found this perfect woman and look, she's a robot. Um to me that's always what the unicorn represented. And so for me, that's the version I know and love. But I I know a lot of people that love the director's cut and they think the voiceover is blasphemous. Even Harrison Ford himself said he didn't want to do the the voiceover and he deliberately tried to do it poorly so they wouldn't use it. Um, You know, That's just it. But for me, i got to give Blade Runner probably a 9 out of 10. It's one of those movies when you say you're on a desert island and you can bring five movies. But apparently on this desert island you have power and a television and a Blu-ray player. What movies do you want to bring with you? Blade Runner usually makes my top five. It definitely makes a top 10 list for me. It's usually right on the cusp of that five, if, if I'm narrowing down to five, but it absolutely is uh, in the top of my sci-fi. I, I put it right there next to the first Star Wars movie, Blade Runner, and The Matrix. Got to be my top three sci-fi in that order. So, Yancey,
0: so you answered my question, the last question I was going to throw out, uh, and that was, do you think Deckard is a replicant, Derek thinks? No. Yancey, what are your thoughts? Is De- Is Deckard a replicant, yes or no?
1: So in the director's cut, it kind of makes it pretty obvious that he is. I think um, it takes that ambiguousness and it makes it pretty blatant. And that's the grapple that I have with the theatrical version with all of the narration where it's basically like I feel like it's dumbing down the film for a more mass audience. That was basically like the theaters trying to like – not the theaters but like the, the companies themselves trying to like put their hands in on uh, you know an artist's vision and making it more accessible to the masses. And I don't really agree with that. Personally, I always thought he was a replicant the entire time. And I think that makes, you know, the whole the 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 entire story becomes even more interesting if you do add into the fact that he is a replicant. And so it's one of those things, it's like the X Files like I want to believe kind of thing. Um so I I, I want to say yes. I, I personally think he is, but I think the magic of this film and and the magic of most films is like if you leave something up for interpretation to where it can have a life, you know, decades afterwards where people are still discussing it and, and, you know, different groups can think different things. I think that's that's absolutely perfect.
0: Okay, so the thing is, is, you know, obviously you both make really good points. I think when uh, Edward James Alvarez's character makes the unicorn origami and leaves it at the end. Obviously, that is showing that he saw his dream. He was able to access it somehow, so therefore he is a replicant. But if they're right. making this sequel, it's Blade Runner 2049 and that's 30 years after this movie was supposed to take place. And if a replicant only has a four-year lifespan, he couldn't be in the sequel. So he cannot be a replicant. That's the argument that I'm going to
1: make. Uh, and, yeah, and I got I to agree with that. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Okay, so and by on, the way, they yeah? never they never talk about how important it is, the fact that these replicants only last for, what what is it, four years? But yet they make such a big deal about killing them. They never talk about that in the film at all. Like, if it's such a big deal that they're they there. Do,
0: I think they do bring it up because he brought – because early in, in the movie, he brought it up with, um, oh, MM Walsh's character. Um, He brings up. He says, yeah, it's going to die in four years, but we can't take chances of who it might kill in the meantime.
1: Oh, that's yeah. fair. That was no, the yeah,
0: reason why Deckard had to go after them, right? Good job, Chris. Look at you. There you go. And
2: and so, with that logic, even that's why I never felt that Deckard was a replicant. Because I, I wouldn't think that a police captain like Bryant, who was so clearly biased against them, would let Deckard just walk around with a gun and a badge. There's no, there's no backstory that you can give me, given the the slice of life of these characters that we know from the two-hour movie, that would allow me to believe he would go for that.
0: I agree. Yep, no, I I think that you're right. So again, and this is one of the things, like you said, uh, Harrison Ford has been adamant over the years that his character wasn't. And I think it's just more recently, he's just, okay, finally, I give in. Okay, Ridley, whatever, believe what you want. But I think Harrison Ford has always believed that he isn't. Okay, so anyway, that's lots of conversation on Blade Runner. So now, how about if we get to some trivia? Are you guys ready? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's play some fun with Yancey. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys some trivia, because you guys both love this movie a heck of a lot more than I do. So I'm going to throw trivia out. I'm just going to throw it out there. And either one of you can jump in. Um, Derek's probably going to jump in with lots of you, so we'll we'll see what's going on. Okay, so in the novel that the movie is based on, the term replicant is never used, not once. Instead, the creatures are called what? Andes. Yeah, Andes or Androids, obviously, because it's yep. and, do we Androids Dream of Electric
1: Sheep, so that's a pretty obvious one. So there you now,
2: go. Yancey, have you read the book?
1: I have not. Is that blasphemous? Okay.
2: No, it, the book is very different <laughs> than the movie. It's only, uh, it's like a novella. It's only like about 150 pages, and it's very different. There's only a couple of scenes in the movie that that are influenced by the book, uh, but it's very much the broad strokes of, of you know, this dystopian future, so.
0: Okay, right. guys. In in the movie, Deckard is only ever referred to by his last name, Deckard. Of course, uh, even though it, it's never mentioned in the movie even once, what's Deckard's first name?
2: Uh, I had the IMDb page open, so I'm going to defer
1: this to Yancey. Mm, I I can't remember, but I I believe that you know it. So yeah, it's Rick. Mm, no, I, I, actually, I, I,
2: no. I, I, no, that's... it's it's actually it's Yancey. No, I'm just totally. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's
0: it's Rick, of course. It's, that would make my day. Why are you like, playing with my emotions like know, that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys. You guys have mentioned a couple times on tonight's podcast, so I'm going to circle it back to this about the levitating cars. Now, mm-hmm. they are obviously prominent throughout the movie, but they are never, not referred to as levitating cars. They actually have a name. So, gentlemen, can either of you tell me the name of the levitating cars in this movie?
1: I
2: cannot. No, I read it earlier this week when I was doing some homework, but no, I can't. Mm-hmm
0: they're spinners 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 yeah. okay jf smashing you mentioned this one earlier uh cave obviously played by william sanderson and oh yeah and, and cave mentioned william sanderson so you know william sanderson yep, he is he's, he's an actor obviously well known in the 80s for his role on a sitcom can you name the sitcom that william yes. sanderson played a small but very memorable part on
1: i know it Nancy, any idea what do you think? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I will give you a hand. He's, hi, I'm Daryl, and this is my brother Larry, and this is my other brother Larry.
1: No, John a blank man, what is it? Okay. It's New Heart.
0: <laughs> it's New Heart, but but you, you actually got that wrong because it's actually oh, I'm it Larry the, and well, this I'm is my Larry brother Daryl.
1: My other brother Daryl.
0: Other
2: ah, brother okay. Daryl.
1: Well, okay. Close, close, close. So you get ahead yourself. That
2: was a deliberate attempt to try and trick Yancey, I oh, swear. Yes, yes. Well was
1: that was that a pretty big show? Or was that kind of like a really obscure, like one or two season kind of show in the eighties? No, it was it was a pretty popular show.
0: It was pretty much yes, okay. I tell you. Oh man. Um okay, so we talked about uh, different cuts of this movie. Okay. So believe it or not, really Ridley, Ridley Scott's original cut of the film was over 4 hours. And so obviously it 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 didn't miss a whole lot, you know, when he first put it out there. And then he obviously re-released that as a director's cut, you know, you know, years later and in different versions. Um but the one thing that his original cut of the film uh was missing was one key part of the film that was in the theatrical release. You've mentioned it already tonight, so I know you're going to get it. What's the one key component? Of the theatrical release that was not part of the original cut of the film.
2: Go ahead, Cameron. I, I, I don't know. I got to guess probably the score.
0: No, no, close. Or the,
2: maybe the happy ending.
0: No, the, the I don't happy oh, ending. oh,
2: the voiceover. The, oh. Voiceover. Oh. Yeah. the voiceover. The voiceover. Yeah. The voiceover.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had to go and put that. In. The studio insisted on yeah. putting the voiceover in there because they felt people wouldn't understand what the heck's going on in this dumb movie. Uh, so, okay, Harrison Ford obviously played Rick Deckard. We know we know that. But can you guys you know I love this, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And we always talk about this every week. Can either of you guys name who um, Ridley Scott's first choice was to play the role? Uh,
2: I, I know this again only because I, I looked up some trivia earlier this week.
0: It'll blow you it'll <laughs> blow you away. You wanna you wanna say who it is? David Hasselhoff. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> that's, no that's right that's totally right yancy actually
0: the initials are right the initials are right <laughs> you, you know who it is cave
2: no i i don't think i do i i thought i had read somewhere that the character the actor who played holden who gets shot at the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. i thought that they wanted him to play the decker <laughs> oh,
0: no actually surprisingly enough ridley scott wanted dustin hoffman to play the part No. Yes. Could you imagine Dustin Hoffman playing this part? I mean, like you talk about a versatile actor and, you know, I was mentioning before how um, Harrison Ford is such a versatile actor. You don't get much more versatile than Dustin Hoffman, but I still could not imagine Dustin Hoffman playing this part. That would be something else. Let me
1: tell you. I mean, Dustin Hoffman can play Rain Man. So, like, I'm going to give him a lot like the benefit of the doubt. But, whoa, Dustin Hoffman. Seriously, that was his first choice. I think maybe like if you go back and watch something
0: like Marathon Man. That's probably where he might have got some of this from. I don't know you know but you know it just seems like an odd one that's for sure anyway uh, Cave I want to say thanks a lot for joining us this week I really appreciate you reaching out to us and uh, and suggesting this film it made for a great topic uh, I really enjoyed playing devil's advocate tonight it was a lot of fun um, it's one of Yancey's favorite movies even though it's from my generation or our generation for that matter um, so really really appreciate uh, you coming on the show you're going to come back again sometime and join us all right
2: of course of course actually Chris before we go yeah. can I throw a trivia question out at you sure sure go ahead Okay, so can you name the song by a one-hit wonder from the 80s that did sampling in the song from both Blade Runner and A Clockwork Orange?
0: Oh, my goodness. Oh, jeepers. I, can you name can the you, song? It,
2: I'll give you a give hint. Give me a hint,
0: at least. I uh, no, The come song
2: out. was prominently featured in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Is it oh, yeah? It is not. Oh, I don't know. It is love missile F one eleven by Zig Zig Sputnik.
0: Oh wow, that is like the yeah. biggest nerd trivia question <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm a big,
2: I'm a big fan of like obscure '80s music, especially like obscure '80s dance music. Oh, I thought and, you were going to say I'm a big nerd,
0: which oh, would well, have been that, true. That
1: goes
2: too. Yeah, <laughs> you, you,
0: you, you fit it, right it, in around here. That's for sure.
2: Chris, ask me what I'm doing next week on my vacation.
0: What are you doing next week on your vacation?
2: Oh, it's funny you ask. I am going to indianapolis to take place to t- participate in the 50th gen con gaming convention to play dungeons and dragons and board games for four solid days the best four days in gaming that is my vacation
1: okay. that i'm, I'm out what's what's I'm the
2: out. what's the name of the convention <laughs> gen con it's a 50th year of Gen Con. It's in Indianapolis. It's We're going down. There's a whole crew of us jumping in the cars and heading down. I've been going for the last 10 years. It is a blast. What does you what, what your it wife is refer, refer to
0: this conference as?
2: Oh, she doesn't go anywhere near this. She's like, you go and have fun at your nerd convention.
0: Does, does she? Does she, will- does she call it anything?
2: She calls it the nerd convention. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: how appropriate. All right. Okay. Good one. Uh, okay. Anyway, listen, uh, thanks for joining us this week again. Caveman, it's always a pleasure having you on. We're going to have you back. Thanks again for having me. Appreciate soon. it, guys. You know, always do a good job. Always do a good job on the show. Yancy, thank you very much, young man, for everything. I'm really, sure. really happy, at least, that you liked a movie from my generation. Next week, we'll come back. We'll do a top five. In the meantime, this is Chris McBryan for Yancey Eaton and, of course, for Caveman Derek Myers. saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at CMcbryan or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.